Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. A couple of more announcements. Um, the uh, Kairos Prison Ministry is a ministry that we've supported for a while now, and uh, they are getting ready to go into the prisons. I, I don't know when, Reggie. When are you going in? Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. It's a good time to go. Um, it's a day. <laughs> I mean... Uh, but as part of that, uh, one of the things that they ask for uh, churches is to support them in prayer. And uh, so Reggie's got a, a prayer chain thing that you can sign up for out in the uh, foyer. And there used to be a, like, you'd sign up for a certain time and stuff. I think now they just are wanting you to cover the whole weekend with prayer and everything. So you can just sign up and say that you'll pray for uh, the, the guys as they're getting ready to go in and as they're there and pray for the guys that they're ministering to while they're there. Um, second thing is for the uh, worship night that we're doing on Wednesday, um, if you have kids that are coming to that, um, the, the first 20 minutes we're going to be doing music and, and worship, and we, we'd love for you to keep the kids in here uh, while we're doing that, uh, and then Andrea is going to lead them away to do something. I don't know. They're going to learn to make s'mores, I think, so it's going to be way better than what you know, I'm going to do, which is... But no, it's not, because I'm reading out of Scripture, so... <laughs> but if you can put Scripture and s'mores together, maybe we should do s'mores, too. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, ending the announcements. Uh, all right. During World War II, there were a lot of German soldiers who were prisoners, right? And some of these soldiers got injured pretty badly, and... Uh, they were in the infirmaries for both the British and the uh, Russian sides. This is early on in the war. But for a lot of them, the injuries would require blood transfusion. That's where things would get a little complicated for the Germans because there was an order from the Nazis where they were not supposed to have any blood transfusions from anything other than, quote, unquote, pure Aryan blood. And according to an article from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency in March of 1942, a captured German doctor talked about what he called the senseless racial theory of the German leadership. The order for the soldiers was that no one could serve in the German army if they had Jewish blood in their veins. And of course, that is incredibly silly, but the result of the order was that the soldiers and the officers, they would actually refuse transfusions from places where they, they weren't getting, you know, pure German blood or whatever. And needlessly, thousands would die because of it. What is so sad is, like, they had the answer right there, right? They, they had blood readily available to them, ready to go, and yet they were so entrenched in what they believed that they'd rather die than be saved. Even their own doctor called it senseless. Salvation was readily available to these young men, but they chose death. We're in the third week of our series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians today. And Ephesus, as uh, just as a reminder, was a major port city in Asia, which, uh, Asia Minor, which is now called Turkey. The Apostle Paul, on a couple of his missionary journeys, took the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to the city. He was there for three years at one point ministering. Ephesus was the third largest city of the Roman Empire, and it was quite multicultural. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, he said that there was a large con uh, Jewish constituency in the city, and, uh, but probably most of the people in the city 
were Gentiles or non-Jewish people. Like, and they worshipped uh, mainly the Greek goddess Artemis, who is also known as Diana in the Roman pantheon of gods. And uh, just a fun fact, Diana was one of the inspirations for the character of Wonder Woman, which is kind of neat. I do not have an action figure of Wonder Woman, just, just in case you were worried. Uh, so we made it through the first chapter of the letter. What we saw was the typical way that Paul opens his letters. He says that, uh, you know, it's from him. It's to the Christians, God's holy people in Ephesus. It says grace and peace to them from God the Father and Jesus. And then Paul moves to praising God for his blessings, which included choosing us from before the uh, creation of the world, to adopting us as his sons and daughters through Christ and redeeming us through Christ's blood and the forgiveness of our sins. And then last week we looked at Paul's thanksgiving for the believers in Ephesus, and he talks about how he continuously prays for them. We look at that prayer that they would know God better and that they would know the hope that which they've been called and the inheritance that's in them and to know God's mighty power. Today we're going to be in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, like Tom was saying, and we're going to see that at one time we were, like those German soldiers, near death, heading toward death. But salvation was made available to us, and now we've followed Christ and we've moved from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I always thought one of the best interviewers on television was Larry King. Uh, you may have watched King on CNN a pretty good while ago now. Then um, he would speak with celebrities, political figures, musicians, and many more types of people. And his interviews were always pretty simple, though. You know, he'd ask simple questions, and then he would kind of listen, and then go wherever the conversation was going. But for the, the 20th anniversary of Larry King Live in 2005, King was one, the one being interviewed, and this time it was by Barbara Walters. Walters asked King a pretty simple question. What's your greatest fear? And he immediately replied, death. Now, this is when he's at the top of his game. He's got a really good career going, and he could lose a whole lot of things, but his greatest fear was death. So she followed up with the question, well, do you believe in God? And he said, well, I'm not sure. I'm an agnostic, which is a good answer for an agnostic to give because that's what it means that they don't know. But King passed away in 2021 at the age of 87. That's always a tough thing to talk about because there is such a finality to it. We were talking about it a little bit in our Sunday school class last week, uh, that death can be scary for a lot of people because you know, there's an unknown about it. You know, it's not like somebody experiences death and then comes back to tell you how it went. Uh, and, and Paul here, he's talking about death. And it's not just the physical death, though. It's spiritual death as well. He starts by saying, as for you, and so we're marking a transition from the last passage to this one, from chapter 1 to this section. And he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Those two words, transgressions and sins, they're synonymous. They're different Greek words, but they do mean something similar. And what that's doing is it shows us that 
you know, it, it, there's a little more importance put to this, that it's just transgressions and sins. It also shows uh, that there's willful action there. It's more than just some in, inadvertent mistake that people are making, but, you know, it, it's it, sometimes meaningful or meaning, uh, there's meaning behind it. But the most important thing is that sin leads to spiritual death. Paul continues by explaining the spiritual death was evident in their lives uh, when it was. First is when they followed the ways of the world. It's basically saying that, you know, you're walking according to the way the world goes, and it's a world without God in it. So if you think about today, most of the time it will look just like completely living for yourself. You know, it, it's that selfish mindset that nothing else matters. There's no God. There's, there's nothing more important than me. And that leads you down a path of sin, which is, of course, a path to death. The second way that Paul said was that they followed the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? It's Satan. The air was considered the dwelling place of evil spirits in Paul's day. The apostle John calls Satan the evil one. Paul calls him the god of this age in 2 Corinthians. Book of Job says that Satan goes... He was going back and forth across the earth. And he's now working in those who are disobedient. He and his emissaries, uh, demons and the like. And, and I don't know that Satan's method has really changed all that much. Because I don't really think it has to. He sowed seeds of discontent and lies just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Where he said, did God really say this? I mean, that lie is still getting us today. Did God really say? People still fall for it, too. And obviously, when people are walking in the way of Satan, that's going to lead to sin, which is going to lead to death. In verse 3, just in case the Christians who are reading this letter start feeling all high and mighty and better than everybody else that Paul's talking about, he reminds us of something really important because he says, all of us, all of us Christians also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We who are believers were once in the place of those who are not. For sure, I'm a testament to that. Next year, it'll be 20 years since my baptism over our old church building. I would have been almost 26 years old at the time. Before God got a hold of me, I was definitely living that life of sin, following the desires of the flesh. It's not that I was super, super bad or anything like that, but I still had no hope that once this life would end, I, I didn't have hope there. I was, like Paul writes, dead in my transgressions and sins. And when Paul writes about how these people used to live, he's not trying to shame them. He's just trying to show them that they're on a better path now. He reminds them of what it was like before they were saved. That was their old condition, which leads to death. And now he's going to show them their new position in Christ. Verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You used to live in the ways of the world and Satan. We all used to live the same way. There was no hope 
but God. That's how the Greek actually starts the passage. The NIV doesn't word it like that. It starts with, but God. God has a great love for us. And because of that great love and in his rich mercies, he did four things for us. He, he made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. God isn't some dispassionate onlooker who, you know, in the process of salvation. He is the main player. So even though we were dead in our sin, even though we had no hope, God made us alive in Christ. And Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved, which is so true, because it is only by the grace of God that we can be saved. We cannot save ourselves. We need help. In the previous verse, Paul writes that we were by nature deserving of wrath. So what does that mean? It means that by our very nature, it was one of sin. Paul talks about this quite a bit in Romans, but here's just one verse that summarizes it. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. We inherit that nature from one man, Adam, but God didn't leave it there. Even though we deserve death and deserved his wrath, his grace saves us. Because he put into place the plan that would satisfy his wrath through Christ on the cross. Removing it from us, who deserve it, and then putting it fully on Jesus, who didn't. That's grace. And so those of us who have followed Christ have moved, been moved from death to life. He's made us alive with Christ. Not only that, the second thing is that God has also raised us up with Christ. There's a spiritual resurrection that coincides with Christ's physical resurrection. In his commentary on Ephesians, Harold Honer writes that as we died physically, we were dead spiritually. So also, as he was raised physically, as he died physically, we were dead spiritually. As he was raised physically, we were raised spiritually. The new resurrected life demands new values as well. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We don't need to keep going back to the way that we used to live before. Now that we're raised in Christ, we set our minds on the things that truly matters, on heavenly things. But not only has God raised us with Christ, but he's also seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are alive, no longer dead in our sins. Our position has changed. And it's not that we are physically actually seated in heaven, because I don't think it looks quite like this. No offense to all of you beautiful people. But it, it, the, the term heavenly realm seems to be pointing to the spiritual reality of it. As Kyle Snodgrass writes, God's world in which believers have a share and which evil forces still seek to attack. That's what it is. It's a way of saying that this world is not the only reality. Though believers live physically on this earth, they receive spiritual resources and their identity from a higher plane. The spiritual blessings given to Christians are enjoyed in the present life, for they derive from what God has done in Christ in the heavenlies. Remember last week when we talked about God's power? You know, we showed a few, some things that God did in his power. He raised Christ from the dead. 
he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He gave him all authority and power. And in today's passage, we see that God makes us alive in Christ, raises us from the dead and with him, and seats us with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's similar, right? But instead of showing his power, the reason for this is to show the incomparable, incomparable riches of his grace, which is expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to continue by explaining grace a little bit more in verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul goes back to the same thing he says earlier. It is by grace you have been saved. We talk a lot about grace in church. We don't always define it. According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, grace is gracious or merciful behavior of a more powerful person toward another. Another way it can be defined is that grace is unmerited favor or even unmerited divine favor, a favor from which comes many gifts. So it's getting something that we don't deserve, right? You ever gotten a gift where you weren't expecting it and it was just like so far beyond like that you'd never be able to pay it back or, or re- repay that gift in some way? Maybe somebody did something for you and there's no reason for it, it seemed. They, they didn't want you to pay them back. They didn't let you return the favor. It's kind of a picture of what grace is. The grace which Paul is talking about here is, of course, from God. It is by the grace of God that we as Christians have been saved. It's one of the main attributes of God. We've talked about this before. But when God's glory passed in front of Moses, here's what he said of himself in Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is gracious. It is by his grace that we are saved through faith. God is gracious. He sent Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And we are asked to believe, to believe that, to be saved. We're asked to have faith that God did that work, faith in Christ. According to the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11.1, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We weren't there to see Christ 2,000 years ago. But we've got faith that it happened. We've got faith that what's presented to us in the scriptures is true. We have faith that God will follow through with his promises. And we have faith that we are saved by his grace and his grace alone. Because we cannot save ourselves. I think a lot of times our culture gets pretty individualistic, right? Like we'd like to do things on our own. You know, try and figure out our own problems. I know I'm totally this way. Uh, If something's going on or something's gone wrong in my life, I'm going to try and figure it out by myself first. You know, do everything that I can. For example, I think it was the last year sometime I chipped a tooth. Uh, You know, had a little bit of pain. It was manageable, though. It's manageable. Occasionally food would get stuck in it, but I'd just dig that out. It'd be fine. For the most part, I would just deal with it. Now, should I have gone to the dentist and had them look at it? Yeah, probably. I guess. But I didn't. 
Fast forward to about two months ago, and all of a sudden that tooth really started to get uncomfortable. Pain started to increase. I remember we were at a dinner somewhere, and I'm just like, my, ma- my fingers are in my mouth half the time, like trying to adjust my tooth, thinking that's going to make it better. It didn't. But it was still, it was still manageable. I still dealt with it. Should I have gone to the dentist and have them look at it then? Yeah, probably. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I still thought I could figure it out. You know, I put that Aura Gel on there and numbed everything, but the tooth still hurt. But, well, a few weeks later was when the swelling started. So, <laughs> finally I gave up my pride and was like, okay, I'll go to the dentist. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I wasn't able to take care of it myself. And, and now after a root canal, I've got a temporary crown in there. I've got a permanent crown coming this week. You know, thank God for my parents who have helped me <laughs> through this. Um, could all that have been prevented? Probably. I was stubborn. So, uh, you know, I thought I didn't really need any help to take care of it. It's, seems fine. At least, you know, I... I thought I could take care of it up to the point where I was going to have to, like, extract it like Tom Hanks did in the movie Castaway, you know, with an ice skate. I wasn't going to make it that far. <laughs> That's the thing, though. Like, we try and do things on our own. Like, sometimes we can take care, of it our, take care of it ourselves, and that doesn't really help us <laughs> because then we, we, we get all full of ourselves. Sometimes I think that's true with our salvation, too. Paul says that it's by grace you've been saved through faith and and not from yourselves. Because we can't save ourselves. We'd have to live absolutely perfect lives. Not just pretty good lives, but perfect. Like never, ever putting a foot wrong. And I don't know about you, although I have a pretty good idea. I'm far from perfect. Far from perfect. And since we're not perfect, we need somebody to help us. And that's exactly what God did. God's grace came not from ourselves, but it's a gift. It's his gift. It's not by works. We can't earn our grace. Why? Paul says so nobody can boast. Because that, that's what we would do, right? You're like, man, I got myself into heaven. That's a pretty good thing to boast about. But we can't do that. It's just not how it works. Paul ends this passage by talking about how we are God's handiwork. He knew us before creation, as it says in Psalm 139, 13 through 15, or as it's described. For you, are, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. God knew us before we were born. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. He, he knew us before creation. And not only that, but in Christ, we are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And so we are God's handiwork. And what were we created for? We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And maybe you hear that and you're like, wait a second. You literally just said, like two minutes ago, that we are not saved by our works. And we're not saved by our works. That's only by God's grace through faith. But we are saved to good works. 
The Apostle James in his letter talks about this quite a bit. In James chapter 2, he writes in verses 14 through 26 about faith and good works, which is translated deeds in the NIV. His argument is that you cannot have faith without the good works, without the deeds. The, the reason for that is that the deeds are the fruit of the faith. Meaning that if your faith is genuine, then good deeds and works are going to follow. James 2.17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And as Snodgrass writes, the salvation is not from works, but it is surely for works. That is, living obediently and productively. Or John Stott, when he said, Good works are indispensable to salvation, not as its ground or means, but as its consequence and evidence. Paul writes that God has prepared these good works for us to do. As followers of Christ, at one time we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. But God, in his great mercy and love, made us alive in Christ. So as we wrap up today, I really just want you to soak that in. Let that just soak in. That if not for God, we would be lost without hope. But God loved us so much that he made a way for us through Christ's death on the cross, where he fully took God's wrath for our sins. Through his burial and his resurrection, he made a way. So as you go through your week this week, really just take some time to think about that and, and thank God for that. Because he is the only one who was able to do it. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You're a new creation. You're not the old dead person that you were before. But now you've been made alive in Christ to do good works. And so live in that. And always be open to join, you know, to where you can join God in the work that he's already doing. If you're here today and you've not put your faith in Christ yet, you're not following him, then I'd invite you to do so. You know, I'm not the fire and brimstone kind of preacher. That's not my style. But I will tell you the truth. There's going to be a time where it's going to be too late. And you will have made your choice. We don't know when that end's going to be. You don't know when your end is going to be. So, But do you know this? God loves you. And he wants you to follow him so you can be with him for eternity. And he's made the way. And he's offered you the gift of salvation. And he's put it there for you to take it. But you got to move. you got to take hold of it yourself. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your Son, for the gift of salvation through him. Father, there's no way that we could save ourselves. And I hope that we all fully recognize and understand that we can't do enough because we are dead in our transgressions and sins without you. But with you, Lord, 
you have made us alive with Christ. You have raised us with him. You've seated us with him at your right hand. And it is, it's amazing. Thank you so much, Lord. Father, right now we come to the time in our service where we remember the sacrifice that Christ made, where he took the sins, that the punishment, the wrath for what we deserve, for our sins. He took him to the cross. And he died there to be the perfect sacrifice for those sins. And so we, we remember that as we take the bread, his body broken. We take the, the juice representing the blood that he spilled. And we remember. But we also rejoice in the fact that those sins stayed on the cross, but Christ did not that you raised him from the dead, Lord. And now he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.